As a little disclaimer, I know Pastor Jeff already said this, I'm going to be talking about sex this morning, okay? So if you're here, okay, good, one person excited. Um, so if you're here with children, okay, we have a great children's ministry, I'll leave that up to you. I'm not offended if you decide to take them out, all right? Not like literally out, out to the children's ministry, all right? So I'll leave that up to you as parents. Um, so if you'll turn with me, First Thessalonians chapter 4, that's where we're going to look at. It's in the back side of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. Uh, follow along with me. If you don't own a Bible, take one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, how many of you, before I get started, how many of you used your extra hour to actually sleep in and, and sleep extra hour? Yeah, I did too. And you know what? I feel worse. You know, I was like, man, I feel more tired this morning than I normally do. So uh, so welcome to Time Change Week. Uh, we're going to be talking about sex and, uh, and what God's view of sex and sexuality is this morning in rapid up this series. I, one of the little jokes that I say with my wife when we're going out on a date and uh, people some occasionally like an adult say, hey, you guys are going on a date. Where are you guys going to go tomorrow? And I'll, I'll be like, and usually my answer is, uh, well, we'll, our plan is we're going to go park. And they never know what to say to that, right? They always pause. And and it's kind of awkward and weird when you're married, right? Like, you know, why is that? Why is it awkward and weird? Like if two 16-year-olds say, hey, we're going to go park, you freak out. Like, no, you're not going to go park. But when married people say they're going to go park, it's just weird, right? And it shouldn't be that way. And and in fact, last night or Friday night, I was kind of channel surfing. I came across a movie and kind of got the world's perspective of marriage and sex, right? And the underlying theme in this movie is that once you get married, uh, sex is a dead thing, right? You just don't have it anymore. But if you want real sex, you want it to be hot, you want it to be spicy, you want it to be passionate, you need to be a swinging single. And when you're single, I mean, you can just shack up with anybody you want to, and the sex is better, but the minute you say, I do, sex ends. That's the world's perspective. And church, this morning, I'm I'm hoping to take perspective of the Bible, and I want to turn it on its head a little bit. I want to encourage you. I'm going to challenge you this morning. It's going to be, this morning's a little bit of a reflection of what God's word has to say about sex and sexuality. You know, we live in a world that's taken God's idea and God's truths and turned it on its head. Uh, Temptation for doing sex and having sex and, and having it outside the boundaries of God's word is everywhere. It's everywhere. It, it's, it's inundating us. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and, and you agree with his word as being true and you leave here buying into the worldview that I'm going to give you this morning, you will be mocked in the community. You'll be mocked by the media. You'll be, there'll be friends of yours that think you're strange or old-fashioned or weird. And so this morning, I'm going to hold up the mirror of God's truth to what the Bible says about sex and sexuality. Now, the danger this morning, what I'm about to do, the danger is, as I hold up the truth, or if you will, the law of God, the danger is, as we see a reflection of our own lives and how every single person in this room has fallen short at some level of God's standard for this issue and all issues, is you're going to leave here this morning feeling guilty. And I want you to know, whatever your past is, we, the gospel message of God is that Christ redeems it and buys it back and gives us a fresh start always, okay? So that's kind of, I'm going to bookend the sermon this morning with the gospel gospel and reminds you that in Christ with repentance, and by the way, repentance is, is probably not what you think it is. It literally means a 180 degree turn. I was doing my life, living my life this way. I'm going to repent and I'm going to do things God's way. All right. Well, through repentance and belief in Jesus, God's son, there's always a new start, always a new chance to move forward with the things of God. Okay. Okay. So now we've done this series and I've entitled it Pure. And the idea was that this process of growing to be more 
like Christ. So I've, I've targeted, really I've targeted Christians in this series. So if you're here this morning and you're investigating, okay, I'm preaching at them this morning, all right? You kind of get a look at them, okay? And so this idea of growing to be more like Jesus Christ is this idea of being pure. We're preparing for the day when we'll see Christ face to face. That's been the backdrop, okay? So with that, I want you to see 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. The Apostle Paul's writing to a church. The church he's writing to is in a city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica had so many sexual sins, it's hard for me to describe them all. Their, their culture had debased and, and had pursued sex and sexuality completely apart from the way God would have it done. And as you read a little bit of context and history of the city, I kind of pause and go, huh, sounds a little bit like America, okay? It sounds a little bit like the, the culture that we live in. And so Paul writes this to this little church in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He says, God's will for you is to be what? What's it say? Holy. Okay. What's the word holy mean, church? It's set apart. Now, I'm going to be referring to you this morning as the word church. The word church is set, it's reserved for those people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And the word church literally means to be called out. And so church, in the area of sex and sexuality, the biblical expectation is that you have been called out to be set apart. You're called out to be different than the way the rest of the world views and does this thing, okay? The challenge is gonna to be to be different. So Paul says, God's will is for you to be holy. So he says, here's the application, stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will, uh, will control his own body and live in holiness and in honor, not in lustful passions as the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Verse seven, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. The first thing I want you to see this morning out of this passage is that God's will is not a mystery. God's will is not a mystery. Uh, in fact, some of you probably came in here this morning going, man, I wish I knew God's will for my life. And in that, what we, what we usually mean is, I wonder who God wants me to marry, all right? I wonder, you know, a lot of young people here this morning, I wonder what, what degree I should be pursuing. What workplace should I pursue, you know? And we kind of put these parameters on it, but I want you to know something. God's will is not a mystery. It's very clear. I want you to be set apart, you're called to be different. And by the way, when you pursue being set apart and you pursue being holy, all that other stuff takes care of itself. All that other stuff makes sense when you're pursuing holiness. God's called you to be different. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. The challenge this morning is in the area of sex and sexuality, the challenge is going to be you're going to have to be different from the rest of the world. Because that's what the Bible tells us and teaches us. And so God's, God's will is, is not a mystery. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit crazy, all right? I'm going to challenge you with this. If, if, if you, by the end of the sermon, if you'll be convinced of adjusting your life to God's word, I really believe this. If you will adjust your, will, your life to God's word on pursuing holiness, pursuing, pursuing being set apart in the area of sex and sexuality, God will bless your socks off. All right. He really will. He'll expand your platform. And, 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 and I've just seen it happen a million times. Now, I, told, I, used this, I used this point last night and Pastor Jeff came up to me and he's like, I wish you would have said that um, 
You know, if, if they'll pursue God and God's will and God's ways, and it's not only will you bless your socks off, he'll bless all your clothes off. And, um, to which I was like, Jeff, that's, that's not appropriate. I'm not going to say that. So I didn't say that, okay? So, um, but we're going to come to that in just a moment, all right? And, and, but, but, but the opposite is also true. In the area of sex and, and sexuality, if we don't do things God's way, it, it will undermine the platform of your life. And, and, and there is a... Uh, there's an area here of legacy and impact for your life. That on the choices we make in the areas of sex and sexuality, there's a platform, a foundation, maybe it's a better word, a foundation that God wants to build your life and expand influence. And, and obedience or disobedience in this area is huge to, to the influence that God would have you have. Okay, so Paul says, he, he says, listen, Church, you are called out and you are, you are separate from the rest of the world in this area of sex and sexuality. Now, this is where I wish I could be really creative, okay? But this is where this message is really simple, okay? So it's just so simple and straightforward. Ready? Here it is. So the second point I want you to see is that Paul, Paul says, stay away from sexual sin. You gotta, church, you gotta stay away from sexual sin. First Thessalonians 4, Paul says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from sexual sin. The word for Sexual sin is actually a Greek word. The Greek word is pornea, okay? Uh, and, and that comes as all, it's a broad word for all kinds of sexual deviation, deviation from God's will for this area, okay? So what do you hear at the root word of pornea, right? What do you hear? It's obvious, right? You hear pornography, which I find very interesting. We've built an entire industry on a word that, that in God's word is used to describe sexual sin. Now, let me pause for a minute, okay? Because I'm, I'm talking um, to two groups of people here this morning, I'm talking to those that are married and I'm talking to those that are single, all right? And, and, and if you're here this morning, you're visiting and I'm beginning to teach on sex and we'll talk about sexual sin in just a moment. You're probably thinking, here we go. You know, the church is gonna tell us how bad it is and I knew this was coming. So let me back up for a moment and let you know that sex was God's idea, okay? The enjoyment of sex was God's idea, okay? If, if sex was just intended to be procreation, it wouldn't be as great as it is, okay? So let's just get that out there right now. Actually, the Bible says that um, not only should you have sex, you should have a lot of sex, okay? Now here's what, I've done this for three services and you people here last week, you were the first ones, so I'll give you the plus. After three services, you were the first ones that helped me recognize that Googling cheap dates was a bad idea, okay? So well, here's what I've noticed after three services. Every time I talk about the blessing of sex, people in the congregation are more uncomfortable with that than they are when I talk about the, the sin of sex, all right? So let me encourage you, all right? We don't have to be uncomfortable with the Bible teaches that sex is a good thing. Sex is God's thing. And we should have a lot of sex. If you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians 7 tonight. All right. So you married folks, write this down. 1 Corinthians 7. You're gonna it actually talks about frequency in there. Okay. Now, let me back up for a minute. See how awkward this is. is always awkward right here. I have three services. I've noticed we get awkward here. Um, if you're here this morning and you're married and the frequency maybe is not as much as you had hoped or would hope to enjoy, let me encourage you with this. Go get last week's sermon because sexual intimacy is born out of oneness. All right, I want you to hear that again. Sexual intimacy, because I didn't say a lot of that last week. Sexual intimacy is birthed out of marital oneness. So let me, let me give you the parameters before we talk about sexual sin. Let me give you the parameters for having lots of sex and frequency, all right? The illustration I always use is 
fire. Is fire good or bad? Is fire good or bad? Right? Um, it's kind of amoral, right? Uh, fire is great in the right confines. Does that make sense? I have a fireplace at home, and as the weather gets cooler, man, we will be b- building fires almost nightly. We love to build fires at my house. But, you know, it's great in my fireplace. I love fire in my grill with a couple Bubba burgers slapped on top, okay? I love fire there, but I don't want it running through my attic. All right. Uh, I used this illustration last service. I had a firefighter come up to me after service. He goes, when you talk about fire, I hear job security. Okay. So why? Because we don't want fire just running wild. Okay. And, uh, and sex is that way. It is wonderful. It's frequency is as much as you want, as much as you want to enjoy inside the confines of marriage. And the biblical standard is one man and one wife committed to one another for a lifetime. And in those confines, 1 Corinthians 7 says, you are free to enjoy sex as much as you want. Okay? But Paul says, you know, we got, as a church, we got to run away from sexual sin. Now, what is sexual sin? Well, sexual sin is any deviation from God's design for sex between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. Any deviation from that, God calls sin. And he says, we're to be set, up, we're to be set apart, we're to be holy, we're, we're to flee from it. And I'll give you some ways that we sin in sex and sexuality. There's many ways, okay, but one of them. We can sin in our thoughts. And Jesus talked about that, okay, uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we can, we can sin in our thoughts. And let me address the men here for a minute, okay? Men, we're wired up as visual creatures, okay? And so it's very difficult to go anywhere in our community, on TV, on the internet, without having sexual temptation because, you know, we're wired up by sight. And by the way, ladies, I, haven't, I didn't say this in other services. I wish I had, okay? Uh, when when a, man, a man is wired up this way, and, he, and it's real easy, I think, for ladies to sit back and go, well, they shouldn't be that way. Well, they are, and that's how God made them. And so when they come to church, let me tell you something, they shouldn't have to come to church and wrestle with temptation, all right? Dress appropriately to help your brothers in Christ, okay? And, and don't just give me the old pushback. Well, that's just, they should just, no, that's how they're, they're wired up. But man, let me challenge you for a minute. Okay, you go out in the community, you see something, billboard, internet, or person, whatever. You have an opportunity. You saw the person, okay? We're not blind, okay? But it's the second step, man. You have an opportunity to grab your thoughts and not do a double take, okay? You have the opportunity. Job said, I make a covenant with my eyes. I talk to my boys about this all the time. Boys, you gotta make a covenant with your eyes and say, you know what, I'm not gonna look again. I'm gonna choose to get control of my thoughts and I'm gonna honor my wife or my spouse and I'm gonna, or if you're not married, I'm gonna honor my future spouse by making sure my eyes are gripped and I'm not gonna take a second glance because we can sin with our eyes, we can sin with our thoughts. We can, uh, the Bible defines sin or deviation from God's ways in same-sex marriages. It's a sin, all right? We can, we can sin um, by having sex before we're married, okay? It's, it's in the confines of one man and one woman. Even in marriage, we can sin by having an affair or having, you know, uh, uh, this past week before our staff meeting, one of our staff members pulled up the, uh, the lead article on CNN and they were promoting three and four people together in a marriage, Okay? It's not God's design. It's where we're going as a culture. And even our culture understands the, 
the harm of sexual sin. I mean, we, we still have laws against, you know, forced sex or, you know, minors and, and, and that's good. I'm all for that because again, that is sin. It's not God's design for, for what's best. Some of y'all have been violated in that way. You know, the damage of sexual sin in your own heart, in your own life. But as our culture gets away from God, I, I can almost assure you, we're, we're going to get more and more blurred on what, even what the law should say for sexual sin because it's coming. That's where our culture's going. It's when we deviate from, from God's plans. And, and all deviation from God's plan for sex and sexuality is sin. And, and Paul says here, listen, you, you're not called to this. You're, you are set apart. And so then he challenges, and it's a very simple challenge he gives us next. He says, you got to control your behavior. You got to control your behavior. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and in honor. Now, some of you are going to leave here today with this point and go, oh, he's preaching behavior modification. Pastor Sean don't know the gospel, okay? No, I'm, I'm preaching from the inside out. If you're here this morning, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and you're a Christian, that means you have a deposit of the third person of the Holy Spirit in your life. And, and we've been singing that song. It's one of my favorite praise songs. We're changed from the inside out. And so our behavior, we're now able to control it. We're not like a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things that bothers me about our culture and how we deal with teenagers in the area of sex and sexuality is we, I feel like there's this cultural assumption that teenagers just don't have the ability to control themselves. So, you know, let's give them sexual protection so that, so that you know, they don't, don't get pregnant. Of course, I'm all for, you know, if you're already in sexual sin, bringing a child into that makes it much more challenging and complicated. But here's the deal. Let's stop with this idea that teenagers don't have the ability to control themselves. The human race is formed in the image of God. We're not simply animals, but what we've taught is, you know, this kind of humanistic viewpoint that you've evolved from this gelatinous muck. So why would we expect our teenagers to be any different than the animals? Church, I have a higher expectation because the biblical worldview is our teenagers are made their precious in the image of God. So they're able to reason, they're able to think, they're able to control themselves. And we should expect, hey, you can control your behavior. And to take it even a step further, if you're here this morning, you're following of Jesus Christ, Paul says, we expect that the Holy Spirit is so influencing you that it controls your behavior. And so he says, control your body and live in holiness. At the bare minimum here this morning, if you're struggling with sexual sin, I want to encourage you at the bare minimum, it should be a, a struggle. Romans 7 says, you know, Paul talks about the things he doesn't want to do, he does, and things he doesn't want to do, he may regret those things. There's got to be this wrestle and if there's no wrestle and you just give in to temptation, you do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it, I want to challenge you with this. How deeply has the message of the gospel sunk into your heart? Because Paul says, as followers of Jesus, we can control our behavior and our bodies in this area. In fact, he even says there really is a difference between believer and unbeliever. There really is a difference between a believer and unbeliever. Our behavior reflects our knowledge and our understanding of the gospel. Church, the gospel message needs to sink so deeply into our hearts that when we think about sexual sin, it repulses us because we understand that there was a high price paid for that sin. Paul says in verse five, he says, not, you control your bodies not in lustful passions like pagans or like unbelievers who do not know God's ways. 
he assumes that the believer is controlled differently, controlled by the spirit of God. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian in the area of sex and sexuality, there is an expectation that you are living with a different worldview. You're living with, with a different view of what's really going on in your heart and in your mind. You're living with the understanding that God and his word defines what is moral and what is immoral. Did you hear that? You're living with a worldview that God defines in his word what is right and what is wrong. And a believer understands that if they're going to honor and worship God, that our behavior must reflect that. It must change. And so as followers of Christ, Paul says, listen, we, we run away from sexual sin because we're set apart to worship God. Here's the, sec, the third thing I want you to see now this passage is, as followers of Jesus Christ, we put others first. Now, even in the area of sex and sexuality, the great commandment makes perfect sense, Okay. First, we, we live in obedience to God's word because we want to worship and honor God. The second is, and the second part of the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, sex and sexuality has huge implications for others. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. He says, never harm or cheat a Christian brother in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Now, let me pause here. Um, this verse, I'm passionate about this verse because God, when I was, uh, when I was single, God really impressed this verse upon my heart at a young age. Um, I, was, I remember reading it and I remember when I first read it, I said, well, this doesn't apply to me. This is talking about having an affair. I mean, it's talking about a, a person cheating uh, with another man's wife. And of course, you know, this scripture is clear that that's a sin. It's a violation of what God would have. But, but God did something weird as I was reading with by the power of, I believe by the power of the spirit, he grabbed a hold of my heart and he said, no, no, Sean, I want you to understand something else. When you go out on a date, that person you're going out on a date with, that might not be your spouse. That, that young lady, for me, that young lady may be another man's wife and you need to treat her the way you would want your wife to be treated. And the second thought that God brought to my mind is my wife might be out with another man right now dating someone. And I would want her to be treated with the kind of respect that I want my own wife to be treated with. Does that make sense? I know we got a lot of young people here. When you're out on a date, until you say I do, until you covenant before God and others that you're, you're gonna be in that relationship forever, that is not your spouse. And you need to honor that person. And you may be cheating a brother or sister. And I believe the downline goes even further than that. I mean, when we have sex and sexuality is this deep, intimate thing, which I'm going to unpack in just a minute. But, you know, it's this deep, intimate thing. And when, when you violate a Christian brother, I mean, you're, you're violating a whole bunch of people. You're violating your spouse's parents and your parents and your grandparents and, and even your future children someday. If, you, if you're not doing it God's way, one day you're going to have to tell your story, Right? And you don't want your story to be, well, you know, mom and dad, we just didn't have any self-control. We didn't honor God up to this point. And let me say this, talking about God's will, okay? I tell young people this all the time. If you're sleeping together before marriage and you're praying about, man, what is God's will for me to marry? How can you know God's will when you're already violating God's will? And the reason I get so passionate about this, guys, is because I see the level of brokenness when we as a church are not set apart and doing it God's way. 
And I'm weary of people looking at me and saying, you're so old school. Yes, maybe I am, but I have seen the opposite. I've seen both ends of the spectrum. I've seen the blessing of doing it God's way. He will bless your socks off and other things, okay, Pastor Jeff. And, and man, I have seen the devastation of not doing it God's way because it affects others. And the others is a long down line. It's not just you. And it's important that we put others first. And so I, that was, I went off on my point. Sexual purity honors others, okay? It honors your future plans. This, this applies to marrieds and singles. If you're married, you are to have eyes and flirtatiousness and sex with one person, okay? The person you covenanted to be with. It kind of goes back to some of the things we talked about last week. If you're single, okay, you are to be pure and pursue purity, until you get married, until you stand and vow before God and others for better, for worse, sickness and health, death do you part. The person you're with is, may not be your spouse and is not your spouse. In any other context than marriage, sex is damaging to the person, is damaging the middle to many others until you've made that commitment. And Paul here is very clear. There are some consequences. The consequences of this sin are clear. In fact, you almost can't find a passage in the Bible that's as firm and as challenging as the consequence of sexual sin. Paul says, for the Lord avenges all such sin as we have solemnly warned you before. There are a few passages that take this as seriously and as critically as this sin. And, and, and unfortunately, for even in the church, you know, those of us who run around here as Christians, we've, we've kind of adopted the world's view of this. And I want to challenge you. God says, listen, that, and and." and I think it's, again, I, I think it's less than God's mad at you. The consequences of sin have ultimately been poured out on Christ. That's why he was crucified. But it's a, to me, it's about the proper foundation of your life. And when you do things God's way, man, you build this foundation that God can use to expand your influence and expand your territory bigger than you might imagine. Part of the reason I think Paul gives such a solemn warning here to sexual sin is there's probably not a, an area of humanity. I don't really have a Bible verse to turn to. This is just Pastor Sean's commentary. I guess I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. I don't think there's an area of life that, that touches us at such a deep level. Sex is, is, is body, soul, and spirit, man. It's, it's deep. That's why when it's deviated from God's plan, that's why it's so painful. And that's why when it's not, when it's done in the confines of God's plan, it's so awesome, okay? Because it's a very deep matter. It touches us at very deep levels. And I think the Apostle Paul hints at this in, in 1 Corinthians 6, okay? I want you to see this. And I told you all, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, Paul writing to the church of Corinth, he gives a whole lot of teaching on sex, okay? The Bible's full of teaching in this area. But in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15, Paul says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ. Should a man take his body, which belongs to Christ, and join it with a prostitute? Never. And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say that the two are united in one. Remember last week, we, this, is, this is a quote from Genesis. We talked about marital oneness, but sexuality outside the bonds, there's still kind of this connection, and it's deep, and it's personal, but the person who is joined to the Lord, man, they're one spirit with him. Then Paul says, this, he's, like, he's yelling this. He says, run away from sexual sin. 
You know, there's a lot of areas in scripture where when it comes to temptation, we're told to stand firm and combat, but the area of sex and sexuality, you know what we're told? Run away. Run away. Um, there's a great story in the Old Testament where Joseph is being lured by Potiphar's wife, right? Some of y'all know the story. Uh, Potiphar's trying to get Joseph to sleep with her, with, with her and, and he, he doesn't quote scripture or preach a sermon. Remember, what does he do? He flees. He runs out of there, right? And, um, you know, some of you all, like, you get on the computer and the temptation comes. Let me encourage you. You got to shut the lid on that thing. You better turn that iPad off and you better flee from that situation. Some of you need to heighten the accountability. It's the only way you're going to overcome temptation. You need to get one of those programs that lets people know the websites you're searching. Some of y'all can, should never be on your laptop except when you're around your spouse so that you have accountability. You got to flee temptation. Some of you, there's some of you, when you're going to work right now, there's this relationship going on at work that's so flirtatious. You got to get out of that mess. You better, honestly, you better start looking for another job. Because you better flee temptation. Paul says you got to flee. Why? Because there's a depth to this that I think is unique and it's reserved for husband and wife in marriage. Singles, I'm going to tell you a little something that I, I did when I was dating. Never, never be in an apartment alone. Never. Nothing good is going to come out of that. I always say this to single people, especially ones that have been dating for a while and you know, you're in love and all stuff, you know, and, and you're in love and, and, and you get into that setting. If you can avoid temptation there, you're a better person than me. I remember when my wife and I got engaged and we, you know, we wanted to be pure. We wanted to pursue purity all the way till the day we said I'd do. And, and when we got engaged, man, we were in love. We already knew we had the commitments made in our mind and heart. We hadn't had yet said the vow. And we wanted to remain and pursue purity. And from that day forward, man, we started following my in-laws around everywhere. We're like, don't leave us, you know, and we're begs, please stay here. And, and we did that because we wanted, we believed deeply in these truths. And we believed deeply that we were being holy and we were being set apart and God was doing something in our relationship and we wanted to be a part of what God was doing. I mean, we wanted it so bad to be a part of what God was doing that we were willing to put off what we wanted so bad until we honored God all the way through. Does that make sense? And so you gotta, you gotta flee this myth. This is the one place in scripture God says, if you're serious about it, you better flee, Okay. And so run away from sexual sin. No other sin, Paul goes on to say, so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Or don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? I don't know exactly what this means, but it sure sounds like when you're dragging God's spirit into this mess. If you're a follower of Jesus. He goes on to say, by the way, you don't belong to yourself. Here's the gospel message. Here's the, here's the idea of propitiation, how your salvation has been bought, was purchased. Salvation's free to you, but it wasn't free to God. He says, you don't belong to yourself, for God has bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Flee sexual temptation, flee sexual sin. And which leads me to my final point that Paul says, listen, we need to pursue purity. As followers of Jesus, we need to pursue purity. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
Paul finishes this section by saying, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Too many Christians are asking the wrong question. When I was a, a student pastor, before I became the pastor of Coastal, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I used to teach on sex and dating with my students, and I always got this question from the students. They would always ask, hey, Pastor John, how far is too far? Right? That was, you know, how far can I go on my date and still be considered pure? You know, and we used to talk about the baseball diamond. Do you also like? Did you go to first base, second base? I don't even know what those bases are anymore. I know what they were in my day. You know, probably culture now. First base was probably just standing in the batter's box when I was up. But anyway, but you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. The baseball diamond. Did you get to first base? Some nobody knows what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, good. I was like, man, it's a bad illustration. Uh, last last service got it. Anyway, so. Um, yeah, and so, you know, the students would say, Pastor John, how far is too far? Can I go to first base? You know, can I go to second base? And, of course, I'd have to define first base, second base, third base, whatever. And, uh, but I always said, you know, we're asking the wrong question. Why are we always asking, how close can I get to the rest of the world and God still be happy with me? How about this question? How pure should I be as I stand before God one day? I mean, what is, how much, young people... How much of a gift, sexually speaking, do you want to give to your spouse one day? How much of a backlog of stories do you want to give to your spouse one day? Or to your children one day? We should be pursuing purity. That's God's best. That's God's desire. One of, again, just a little, just a little thinking that I had in my worldview when I was dating, okay? And um, one of the little things I had in my worldview is... When I was out on a date, it was 11 o'clock at night, you know, I'm saying goodnight or whatever. I'm in an apartment, which you now know you shouldn't be in an apartment alone, okay, but if you are, okay, and that happens. And I always just think, what if Jesus showed up right now? Would I be embarrassed? Because, by the way, the Bible does say the return of Christ is imminent, coming any time. So I was asked myself, if I would be embarrassed if Jesus showed up, then that's probably too far, Okay. And I always pushed myself to say, how, well, let's be as pure as we can. Why? Because we want to flee sexual temptation. We want to honor God because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. My hope this morning in discussing this topic was not to embarrass, it wasn't even to make you feel bad, okay? Uh, I hope you know that Jesus Christ redeems back all the bad, okay? Everybody's got some things in their life in this area that we would all be embarrassed of. Everybody, okay? Everybody. Pastor Sean included, okay? None of us wants every moment, every thought to cross our mind to be played on the big screen, all right? So I want to encourage you, Jesus Christ buys it back and gives us a new start. So my hope was, was to encourage and to challenge you to believe God enough to obey his word, and his word will prepare you to be pure for that day that you'll see Christ face to face. Now, my guess is that for most of us in this room, probably not all, but for most of us in the room, this was not new information. Like most of us, it's not informational, right? For most of us, it's transformation. I always say this when, you know, I talk to people about, gee, I'd really like to lose some weight. And they start coming up to me and talking to me about exercising. And I'm like, look, it's not informational, okay? I know all the information. It's transformational, all right? And I just don't want to transform. So, you know, I like Bubba Burgers. I already made that clear. So um, 
I, my gut tells me, there's a few of you in the room, like, I, I really didn't know this was God's standard. And man, I, to, to honor the Lord and pursue Christ, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pursue this. But for most of us, it's transformational. And it's a belief that God's word and God's ways really is the best for us. It's really what it is for most of us. Do I, do I really believe that to take God at his word on this stuff and he really, you, you know, and listen, I didn't get married till I was almost 24. So I, I get it a little bit being single a little bit older in life. Like, do, do you really believe that, that living God's way is really the best and God has your best at heart and mind? How many of y'all remember uh, the original, the movie, the original Karate Kid? Raise your hand because I know how many I was talking to. Okay, good. A lot of you. Good. I didn't, I didn't think that would happen in service because um, I'm old. So, um, Okay. So uh, the original Karate Kid, remember, you remember the movie that Daniel was this East Coast kid that moves to the West Coast and he's not fitting in, he's getting beat up by bullies and one day he's kind of getting beat up by some bullies and Mr. Miyagi steps in and, and saves him, right? And he uh, wants Mr. Miyagi to teach him to do karate and Mr. Miyagi doesn't want to do it because he doesn't think Daniel's going to commit to it and then he kind of tells this really weird story about getting squashed by a grape or something but the end of the story was that, you know, like you got to commit to this thing, you know, you can't, you can't train halfway. If, if I'm going to train you, Daniel, you got to... And Daniel assures him, I'm all in, you know, I, I want to commit all the way. And so Mr. Miyagi says, well, listen, I want you to show up uh, tomorrow at like five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and we're going to get to work. And Daniel gets up, he's excited, he thinks he's going to be learning karate. And, he, and Mr. Miyagi gets up and, he, he, and out in his yard are all these old cars. They're just filthy, dirty, haven't been cleaning forever. And he says, now, Daniel, I want you to go out there and I want you to clean the cars, okay? And, and he, but it wasn't just any old way. You got to do it the way I tell you, right? And remember what he told him? You got to do what? Wax on, wax off, right? Some of y'all are doing it like this. Like you think you know karate now. I tell you what, those of you, that's all you know. I'll take you on after the service, all right? But <laughs> wax on, wax off, right? And so all day, Daniel is waxing on. Every time he comes out and, and he's not really doing his technique well, Mr. Miyagi will come outside and he said, no, no, Daniel, remember, wax on, wax on. You train him, teach him to do this. And he gets all day at the end of the day and, and uh, Mr. Miyagi goes, great job, Daniel. I want you to come back tomorrow morning, six o'clock in the morning, right? And so Daniel's thinking, I'm finally, tomorrow, we're gonna learn some karate. And so the next day he comes back early in the morning and, and remember Mr. Miyagi hands him some sandpaper and he says, get down on the deck and it's, you know, sand, sand. And then he gives him a paintbrush. After he's done that, he gives him a paint brush. Remember? He says, paint the fence, right? Paint the fence. And all day, he gets done his second day, man. Cars are clean, fences are painted, porches redone, and he just loses it with Mr. Miyagi, right? Yeah, you were going to treat me, cry. You haven't taught me anything. All I've done has been your slave. I've cleaned everything. Only on he goes, right? And at that point, Mr. Miyagi says, show me wax on, wax off. And he makes him do it with authority and with enthusiasm. He says, show me paint the fence. And then Mr. Miyagi turns to walk away. And in surprise, he comes back to go and hit Daniel. Remember, and Daniel defends himself. And then he gives him a flurry. And Daniel is able, because of the moves that he has learned, he's able to defend himself from the attack of Mr. Miyagi. And the point of that moment is, Daniel, what I was trying to get you to do was not useless. It was preparation. We were toning and honing some skills and toning and honing some muscles. Church, there's going to be times if we're going to pursue purity in this life, we're going to be made ready for that day when we meet Christ face to face. There's going to be times that obedience to the will of God is going to seem illogical. It's going to seem like a waste of time and it's going to be counter what everyone else is telling you to do. But can I plant a, a seed in your mind this morning? Maybe, maybe God is preparing you. Maybe he's preparing you for something greater than 
can even imagine. Maybe if you focus in on your spouse and stop worrying about flirting with everybody else and all these other things have your attention. Maybe, maybe God's got something more for your marriage than you could possibly fathom right now. Maybe when you're out on a date and temptation comes and because you, you genuinely like each other and think you love each other, that you want to go further and God's word says, and, and maybe by avoiding temptation, or maybe God's got something bigger for you than you can possibly fathom. Maybe God is preparing you for the day that you will be the spotless bride and you will see Christ face to face. Being pure is trusting God's word to be true. It's trusting God's word as powerful and trusting God's word as a bedrock on which you can build your life. Church, I want to encourage you. Be set apart. Be holy. And run away from sexual sin. And I know that God is preparing you for great things when you choose to do things His way. Just maybe it's wax on and wax off. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this group of people and their attention to your word this morning. I know this is a heavy topic, God. I think it's heavy, God, because all of us have violated your principles from one time or another, and it reminds us how marvelous Jesus Christ is, how much we need Jesus Christ. How as we sang that last song, you know, how marvelous, how wonderful, Jesus, you truly are and our need for you. I, I pray, God, for our singles in this room that... Um, it's not easy to be single, God. You wired us up for a relationship, and um, it's difficult to pursue you when you're single, God. I pray that, that our singles would rest in you, God. Trust that you have the, a plan for them. They're, uh, in your timing, you'll bring them the right person. In the meantime, God, they would pursue purity because that's your will for them. And for the ones that are dating God, and maybe, maybe the relationship's gone further than it should have, that today would be a day of repentance. Say, so you know what, today we're, we're gonna put this relationship on the right track and honor God, uh, honor others, trusting that, that God's got a plan. And for our marriages in this room, God, that um, God, whatever is keeping us from experiencing physical intimacy, that we would come back to oneness. We would pursue that relationship as a one and only relationship. And the overflow and blessing of that would be physical intimacy, Lord, as, as you planned and as you designed. And in all these things, God, we're reminded of our need for Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. Thank you for hope. Thank you for fresh starts. And thank you for an opportunity to be set apart and for you to take our lives, brokenness and all, and do something great for the name and fame of Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Well, I just want you to know we are, we're not after your money. Uh, our offering is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal. If you'd like to join us in that, uh, you're certainly welcome to, but don't feel an obligation to give. As a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you. And the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call it a connect card. If you'd fill that out, we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. That's all we're going to do with that. If you're here this morning and uh, after the service you'd like to pray with someone, we'll have a member of our prayer team in the front. You'll know them because they're wearing purple shirts and, and uh, they'd love to meet with you and pray with you. If there's anything we can, we can pray about, that, that ministry is there to minister to you. Joey.